Let's do this. Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the Four Color Nerds comic podcast episode 86. I'm Ryan and I'm joined by one other nerd, Matt. Hello. Together, we take on this week's comics while everyone else is off at family dinners and fixing air conditioning is for people. We slog through the comics mine and bring you the good stuff. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now and go read your week's books, then come back. Each week, one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to Generations, The Unworthy Thor and The Mighty Thor Number 1. Our companion song for this book is Numb by Linkin Park, because this book is all about being worthy and falling short in your father's eyes and how you deal with that. So I feel that this song kind of nails that feeling. Plus, I just like the song. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's take a listen. So, Generations, The Unworthy Thor and Mighty Thor number 1 from Marvel Comics, The Thunder. Written by Jason Aaron, pistol sneaks by Mahmoud Ashar, and colors by Jordi Belair. This has, like all the Generations books, it's taking the two characters and having them meet in this kind of out-of-time place where they tell a very timeless story about the characters. They were each character is supposed to learn some kind of lesson from this encounter that they have with each other. And this one, like a lot of Jason Aaron's Thor stories, messes with time even within this structure so it starts out with the unworthy thor or the odinson as he goes by now back in the day trying to lift the hammer and be worthy of doing so and he's able to lift it like just a little bit but not enough and that's when odin comes in and is super pissed off at him for messing with the hammer at all when he's been specifically told not to do it not to touch it and that it's time for like a formal banquet and i actually like this part where he gets taken to the banquet and he has to wear the formal uniform which is the old goofy original Thor outfit. And I love that he says he hates it. Yes. So he's stuck at this horrible formal dinner and he has to wear this outfit. And he starts asking for drinks and they're like, "Uh, I'm sorry, sir. Your father's cut you off. And he's like, oh, this is horrible. I can't drink. I have to wear this stupid thing. I can't fight anybody. What's next? We're not allowed to listen to any prayers. And that's when he hears a prayer from Midgard and you get Thor on his fucking power goat going off to whoop some ass, which is pretty awesome because you find him going to... uh, a bunch of Vikings who have gone to Egypt. Of all fucking places. Right. And you find out why eventually, but they've landed in Egypt and they're doing, I think they say they do what Vikings do. So you see them like on the shore with axes attacking people and stuff. And Egypt is not without its own defenders at this time, which is Apocalypse. So he's there and he's whooping the shit out of these Vikings and they're praying for Thor to arrive. So the Odinson, the unworthy Thor, hears their prayers and shows up and starts trying to fight Apocalypse. And that's when there's this big boom of another thunder 
spear. And Thor's like, what was that? I didn't do that. And that's when you get the mighty Thor. Jane Foster is there. And there's some really kind of interesting interactions between them where they're trying to figure out who they are. <laughs> Thor's like, a woman Thor? This is ridiculous. Which I think is really funny because Jason Aaron writes both of them. So I did think that was kind of funny. And also kind of paralleling kind of some of the reactions she got when she first became Thor. He is the internet. Yes. So Jane Foster is there and she quickly realizes it's not so much a matter of where she is, but when she is. She realizes she's back in time. And that's when it turns into that heavy metal fight video. <laughs> as the two Thors team up and start fighting Apocalypse and there's thunder and lightning and axes and a bunch of ass whooping going on. There's goats that are flying in, which reminds me of if you've been watching Game of Thrones when the dragon swoops into battle when like the goat is going through the battle lines crushing everybody and like Thor is riding on its back with his axe. It's pretty awesome. And then you find out why the Vikings are actually there is because Loki has lured them into Egypt so they would face something so dangerous they would pray for Thor to come down to Midgard and help them. It's like badass Wicker Man Loki. Really love the way that they have Loki look here. He looks so fucking evil. Not goofy at all. Or like a little kid or any other drawings I've seen of him. He looks like a Norse god of mischief and the night. He looks awesome. It's mildly annoying that he gets this cool out. I like the joke, but Thor gets his classic 60s costume and Loki's got this badass thing. I'm like, why doesn't Thor get a cool badass costume? Probably because he's the one that's swapping because Thor's outfit nowadays and in recent years has been a hell of a lot better than that thing he hates. The art in here is really good. Even the parts where kind of the joke is supposed to be Thor is wearing a lame outfit, they still look pretty cool. And there's panels in here and like double page spreads where the two Thors are beating some ass with their axes and hammers. And it just looks really, really cool. But the lessons that they're kind of learning here, especially with Jane Foster, she realizes the lessons for both of them because at this point in time, Thor is a drunken fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> She's actually telling him all these really important things like, don't forget these lessons. And there's like a little thought bubble. And she's like, you're totally going to forget this. So I thought that was pretty funny. You can hear her sighing. Yes. So the first thing she realizes is there's this pull with her with the hammer because she's dying of cancer. And as long as she's wielding the hammer and is in her Thor form, for lack of a better term, she's fine. But when she goes back to being a human, she's still dying of cancer. And every time she transforms into Thor, it completely purges the chemo from her so she can never heal herself from the cancer. She has to ignore the call of being Thor or her humanity to fulfill either role. And she wonders why she doesn't just stay as Thor. She's a god. Wielding that hammer feels really good. And she could live forever, but she realizes that gods without their ties to humanity end up becoming not Thor at all. That the tie to humanity is what's important. So she decides to continue living both of these lives, even though it means she most likely will die from it. And she realizes this because she sees Thor fighting with these Vikings. And he's able to inspire them to great feats of battle, but their faith in him also gives him strength. So it's this kind of symbiotic relationship. And she sees that, and she's trying to tell Thor about all of this. And he's like, we're going to be drinking tonight, and I'll forget all of this. <laughs> so... <laughs> You're like, look, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to get really fucking drunk tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there's a part where he's talking about how he's going to go drinking and comfort all the wives of the fallen men. And they're like, well, sir, none of us died. And he's like, well, then I'll comfort the wives who have the ugly men. <laughs> the thunder god has spoken. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. But the part that I actually thought was really awesome is you get a third character in here, which is Odin. So Odin's chilling out in like 70s Marvel space. I'm like a rock looking out at the stars. 
Kirby space. Yeah, and he's thinking about back in time how his father was this evil man and he rose up against him and he's seen a lot of things in life, but there's one thing he's never seen the likes of, which is the Phoenix. So the Phoenix appears and she's this flaming hot chick and he's thinking back to the time when they were together and you get this picture of them making out and he's talking about have you ever kissed the fire and all of these things. And I thought it was pretty cool looking and it's also setting up Legacy, which is going to be like Caveman Avengers, sort of. I don't completely support 1 million B- DC Avengers, but okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be Odinson, it's going to be Odin, it's going to be Phoenix, it's going to be the original Iron Fist, it's going to be... Agamotto himself. Yeah, Agamotto, the original Sorcerer Supreme, Black Panther. So all of the Marvel characters that have kind of these like timeless legacies that they're just the next in a generation of, or that are immortal, are going to be in this book. They're DCing it up. Yeah, this is getting some weird stuff going on. But I really like that part where he is talking about the Phoenix and what it's like to hold fire in your hand and the thrill of that and that there's no other woman like him and then she kind of rebuffs him and is like if you ever come near me again i'll burn you and all of asgard to ash and she flies away he's like ah what a woman he's like i got a restraining order on your ass odin all right we talked about this in court (laughs) boundaries odin boundaries i'll just burn your fucking planet to the ground motherfucker yeah. <laughs> what is it? He says, what was it like to make love to the fire, to hold the storm to my fist, to stand in the light of the dawn of the world, father and master of them all? How can I forget that panel of him making out with the phoenix way back in time, holding the hammer, which is totally not how Norse mythology works, but whatever. Whatevs. <laughs> this one was really cool, I thought. I thought the art was pretty damn good. Jason Aaron is a fantastic fucking writer and gives you lots of cool insights into the characters and realizations. There's humorous parts. Hits everything I want from a comic. I really enjoyed this. It was really good. When I read the Generations Hulk book, I was not terrifyingly amused or appreciative of it. It wasn't horrible. It just was like, meh. But the last two Generations books that I've read, I've really liked. I really like this one. I like that they're putting history into the Marvel Universe. It's always bugged me that it's just been like, bam, here you go. It's like this thing that we have is the only thing. There's no history to it. That's one thing I love about the DC Universe is it's so much bigger than the Marvel Universe, right? right? And Legacy is something that the Marvel Universe really needs. I like the art in this. The story was solid. The characterization was perfect, which is something that I expect out of Aaron. It was all around a great book. I think I will give it four and a half, none like you. Son of a bitch. Every time. (laughs) I'm not quite at the four and a half level, though I'm pretty close. I'm going to give it four and a quarter tries of lifting the hammer up. All right. So we're still in the Marvel Universe. (sighs) Oh, We're in some universe that calls itself Marvel. So the next book we've got up is Secret Empire Number 9 by Marvel Comics, written by Nick Spencer, pencils by Linnell Francis Yu and John Bennett, inks by Jerry Alan Gwynnon. Alan Gellion, I think. Alan Gwynnon and Little Francis Yu. Did you just call him Little Francis Yu? No, I said Linnell. Oh, okay. Lino? Okay. However you say his name. Why do we do this to ourselves? <laughs> Colors by Sonny Cho and Dono Sanchez Armada. Alright, so this is uh, kind of getting us here, driving us to the close of the whole Secret Empire mindfuck that it has been. The kind of quick overview is, in the last book, everything started to turn back around, and in this book it, it kind of continues that. We've got all these plot lines that are coming to fruition. We've got the weird bearded cap running through the woods storyline starting to actually make some <laughs> fucking sense. We've got the battle against 
Force, Hydra starting to turn and going towards the heroes. All the heroes that had become slaves, I guess would be the right word, to Hydra Cap are starting to kind of click back. I don't think that we actually got a final on all of them in here, but everything's kind of coming to that zenith point there with the climax of the story. We're definitely in the third act of the story. That final third act, we're doing the trench run. I can't think (laughs) of any other third acts that we can go over here. I always just go to Star Wars and we're good. A couple highlights from the story. We've got me being completely fucking right about what that weird universe is because we're all in Kovic as we talked about last week, but it's Kovic has realized, oh fuck, I screwed up. And she's kind of taking Cap through and making so he understands, oops, my bad. (laughs) She fucked up. Sorry about that. Here's who you are. I got some bad news. I did like that characterization, though, of her as, like, a child. Because she knows she fucked up, but she's afraid. I did a bad thing. And it's not clear. Is she afraid of the Red Skull, who's been kind of her master for a long time? Or is she afraid of the new Captain America? Well, one, I don't know that she necessarily draws a line between the two. I think she's just afraid of mean authority figures. The whole reason she did all this is because Red Skull told her it was the good thing to do. It was fun, right? right? So that's why she made all these stupid fucking changes. That's why she did everything is because he tricked her into this and like a little kid who thought that they were doing the right thing and then you know screwed up the world (laughs) she's like i got a secret and i'm afraid to tell but i gotta tell you because it's really bad (laughs) and it's like a abc special she relays it to him while cap thinks that everything's going good he's getting all the pieces to the cube every fucking marvel hero in america is just in this just knock down drag out fight with hydra just some massive fight scenes going on here and everybody even the what what are they called the u.s of Avengers, where you've got that Red Hulk who's wearing, like, glasses, but, like, glasses from the 80s, and, like, a dad mustache. That's Thunderbolt Ross. That's not Thunderbolt Ross. Isn't it? No. Thunderbolt Ross got his powers taken away by Doc Green. The Red Hulk that's in the U.S. Avengers is a different Red Hulk Hmm. than the previous one. You remember that Thunderbolt Ross's mustache disappeared when he became the Hulk? I think in this one, they're specifically using that to be silly. He's supposed to make you kind of think that, but it's not him it's somebody else i think that's squirrel girl though yep. with the goggles but they're they're all fighting it out i mean you even get captain britain's there they show up everybody's just showing up and then the bad guys are like hey we got five bad guys too or six fight these guys seven seven so you know thor and everybody comes down they start fighting it out the white queen is up saying hey i knew you're gonna pull some shit and then magneto shows up and just does what magneto does best oh my god that's so fucking awesome <laughs> where he shows up he's just like fuck you people what is it that she says, I made a promise no mutant would kneel to Hydra, and fortunately Magneto agrees, and then he just starts tearing shit out of the sky. It's just fucking badass. I'm like, yes. It's real good <laughs> to see him tearing those things down. I want to see this in live action. Mm-hmm. Just the chaos and everything in motion would just be fucking fantastic. You get to the point where Thor's like, nope, fuck it, no more, I'm not doing this, and he just goes, boom! Lightning shoots up, and then the Taskmaster and Black Ant are up on the ship, and they're like, <laughs> yeah. so we're, uh, uh, we're going to lose. You heard that lightning, right? Or that thunder? That's the sound of us losing. Yeah. You know what mercenaries do right here, right? Uh, switch sides? Well, fuck yes. Hey, guys. It's talking to the champions. So, really sorry about holding... Remember how we let you watch TV? TV was great, right? Yeah, the champions are, like, locked in uh, in a room, and I don't know how they have the Hulk fucking locked in this room. I think that's a little bullshittery. Right. If they've got, like, a power disabler, he'd be just Cho. So I'm like, meh. But, I'll, you know, suspension of disbelief. So they're like, so, uh, hair gel Hulk. We got some conditions. And they're like, so if we let you out of here, you're going to tell everybody that we were nice to you guys, right? And they're like, okay, I think that went well. And then you just hear, foot, foot. 
<laughs> I hate kids. They break out, they're running out, and then Spider-Man doubles back to, like, web them up. And then they join the battle. They get out there, and Viv goes and tries to fix Vision. In fixing Vision, she spreads the virus out to yeah. a bunch of other, I guess they're Hydra robots, to try to, like, exercise it out of him, or at least make it not suck so bad. Because she can't kill it altogether, but she can put it out there. And then you've got Doctor Strange coming up, and he's like, hey, I don't think I can fight this thing. And then Thor just threw, like, a boom tube, just punches Scarlet Witch, who's being controlled by Kathan, and they go down, and he starts to do exorcism on Scarlet Witch that I don't remember seeing ever actually come to fruition in this book. No, I think that's going to be in the next book. But I really like when Jane Foster comes out. Originally, she's Thor, and the whole leverage they've had over the Odinson is her hammer is sitting in front of the Washington Monument, so she doesn't have the hammer, so when she comes back to this reality, she's going to turn back into Jane Foster and die. So she's dying of the cancer, and that's when the Falcon picks her up, and I'm hoping that there's going to be a scene where they take her over to the hammer, and she grabs it. So, what I'm thinking is going to happen, because they've kind of hinted at Thor becoming Thor again, like picking up the classic Mjolnir. I'm thinking what's going to happen is she's going to die, but Valkyrie's going to show up and take her up to Valhalla, and she's going to come back as a separate character, so that they can kind of get rid of this whole cancer thing that's hanging over her head. Because, I mean, they did that with Thor, because he used to be Don Blake, right? And that was a fake identity that Odin put on him. Don Blake never existed. But over time, they're like, okay, this is just kind of boring. So, I think they're going to not get rid of Jane Foster, but I think they're going to make it so that Thor is Thor again, and you get this side character that's Jane Foster. Just me speculating, though. Kind of beta ray billing her up. But then we get to see the army that sleeps, and the army that sleeps is all the classic Marvel villains, specifically like the Masters of Evil, but it seems like there's a few more. Bucky shows up and kicks Zemo's ass, and then Zemo shoots him, but then in the middle of the fight, Black Panther's like, alright, fuck you! And uses those badass nunchuck-looking handcuff things to, like, just choke out Zemo. Well, I like it earlier on. He's like, I'm telling you right now, Zemo, I'm going to fucking kill you. And then there's that moment where he's just choking him out. I get the scene that if you were filming that scene, it would be pretty slow where he's choking him. Yeah, Zemo would be begging for his life and be still pretty awesome. You get a scene where Faustus is trying to turn Agent 13 into being Cap's bride. And then she's like, that's great. I put toxin in your tea. Fuck you. I really liked that. <laughs> that was awesome. And I was like, you'd think that the Master of Spies would be better than this, but okay. Yeah, Sharon has resisted the entire time Steve, which Steve is the person that she loves in this world, but she does not bow to his fascist evil ways. She resists and fights, poisons people, stabs him in the neck, uses his old passwords, because he's basically an old man who never changes his passwords, which was funny. Seriously. Damn kids yeah. and your passwords. We finally get to the end of the book... Kobik is showing Steve what's going on, brings him back up to speed, brings us to this well, and I'm, I'm betting what's going to happen is that well is the conduit to get him back in his body, but he's going to have to jump through it. At the beginning of Secret Empire, that's the well they put him in to get him out of the defeat of the Axis powers of Hydra. There was that golden well that they put him in. Oh. That's the same thing. So that might be a conduit from one realm to the other. Ah, uh, that would be awesome. The next issue is the final issue, and Kobik's world seems to be falling apart. Kobik is the cube that all of the pieces that everybody's been fighting for. But everything's going just fucking super great. The heroes are winning. They're remembering what it's like to be superheroes. And then fucking boom. Captain America, or Hydra America, or whatever, shows up in power armor that's not powered by a fucking arc reactor. No, it's powered by a mostly their cosmic cube. And everybody is fucked. Arnim Zola found a suit that Iron Man had built and has modified it to be powered by the cosmic cube. Betting what he found was Iron Patriot's armor, and he modified Iron Patriot's armor. Because he was talking about how it was like in the warehouse. I mean, that would be the most likely thing. They might have 
some guardsman armor or something like that. And it kind of looks a little bit like guardsman, but that's just because it's Hydra colors. He shows up, and that's the fucking cliffhanger that these assholes <laughs> leave us on, is Cap in this ultra-fucking-armor suit. I'm not a huge fan of this storyline, but I'm so excited now that it's finally getting close to being over and we can get back to actual Marvel Comics again. But it's action-packed. You cannot admit that this is not action-packed. It's really well-written. It's got great art, and it's just stress for the entire fucking series. <laughs> None of it is not predictable. I predicted the entire fucking book every step of the way. I think they did a really good job of keeping you, and this is classic storytelling, on the roller coaster of things keep getting worse and worse and worse, so you have that decline, then things start getting a little better, but it's not as smooth as saying there's still dips and curves and stuff. I think that they play your emotions really well in these books. It's been really well done. Not my favorite thing, but it's very well done for even being something I don't really like, I like. Yeah, I've been a big fan of Secret Empire the entire time, so I've been pretty happy with it, and I was pretty happy with this one too. I think that there are moments in here that are really great. Magneto ripping the ships out of the sky is awesome. Black Panther choking out people. Sharon Carter poisoning people and fighting them. I just, I like these people resisting and finally fighting back. I feel like they've put us through this emotional gauntlet and now we're getting the payoff where you get to see the heroes whooping some ass and it's cool, but the battle like, still isn't over. Like you said, they leave us on a cliffhanger where nothing is set. I know where this is going to go. It can't go anywhere but the good guys winning and everything getting back to normal, but it's a fun ride. It's like a roller coaster where you can see the whole thing and where it's going to go, but it's not the same as actually being on the roller coaster. I'm not stressed or surprised by any of this, but still, let's go ahead and sit on the seat and let's go and woo! Yeah, you can see the entire track ahead of time, but you're still going to scream when you're supposed to scream, so. Exactly. I'm going to give it four and and a quarter Cosmic Cube-powered armor suits. I will give it four. We had beaten his armies, defeated his allies, but we had not defeated him, which is kind of the cliffhanger. Nice. So I'm really looking forward to Secret Empire 10. I think it's been a long journey that I'm looking forward to. It's been exhausting, honestly. <laughs> So a little break from the serious Marvel books that we've had. We're going over to Shirtless Bear Fighter number three from Image Comics, written by Jody Lehip and Sebastian Gerner, pencils and inks by Neil Vendrell, and colors by Mike Spencer. So Shirtless Bear Fighter has been pretty goddamn hilarious throughout most of its run. This issue is a little more serious, not as much comedy and jokes in it. You get more kind of backstory for what's going on. So you find out there's this evil plot to cut down the forest and turn it into toilet paper. And there's this bear toilet paper factory kind of answering the question of, like, does a bear shit in the woods? <laughs> so they've got shirtless bear fighter captured, but he's not shirtless anymore. They found his greatest weakness and put him in a shirt. So just like with Samson having his hair cut and losing all of his strength, shirtless doesn't have any power or strength anymore yet. And they've tied him up with toilet paper, which is kind of weird looking until they explain what's going on. And they gagged him with it, too. Yes. And I love it's the right to bear arms t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do have some little sight gags and stuff in here. So you find all of the, the exposition for what's going on about this plot to take over the forest and turn it into toilet paper. And they have this enslaved army of bear workers. They have, like, the bear traps that they're chained to and being forced to work. The FBI agent that's been with him the whole time, in order to sneak into the bear factory, she went to a high school and stole, like, a mascot of a bear. <laughs> so she's in there fighting, wearing, like, half a mascot costume to look like a bear. So you get some bear punching. You get her kneeing uh, some bears in the balls, which is pretty funny. And then you get where you find out... 
more about Shirtless and what's happened to him. And you find out that there was this woman that he met that he fell in love with. And the bears didn't like that because humans are bad. So him joining forces with them proves he's really not a bear. He's a man. So they listen to the bad bear who kind of rises the forces up against him, which is the main bad guy in this story later on. And they exile him. And you find out his love, Clementine, her brother is actually the evil industrialist who's making all the toilet paper and he like locks her away in like the, the princess tower kind of thing and she escapes and goes out into the woods and the bears find her and kill her and he finds her and swears vengeance on them and all that good stuff and not just the bears kill her it's his brother the one-eyed evil bear with the claw yes so then there's a confrontation between the bears on one side and Shirtless and his FBI agent friend. You find out the head FBI guy has switched sides because he's a veteran of all these different wars, and re- but toilet paper tycoons are more respected than him, so he's kind of abandoned his country for money and toilet paper. I love how he's fought in 18 major American conflicts. Nope, that's not possible. <laughs> Well, this is a total parody of 80s movies, you know, so they really go over the top with it. So you get some bear fighting going on. Shirtless starts losing and goes into the river and the salmon starts going upstream, which is weird. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so weird. And they even say they're like, so weird when they're watching it. Then Shirtless is confronted with the horror of seeing a lot of the forest chopped down. And then you get a pretty cool drawing of his dad in the hat out in the rain with the sun. We need to talk as this big bear standing there. So this one is a lot more serious than the other Shirtless Bear Fighters. There is not as much comedy in this by far, but there's a lot more plot and explanation that's going on. So I guess you kind of need that, but I really miss the comedy. I still had some comedy moments. This one, I'll agree, was a bit darker. You had Silva's origin at the beginning. She's the little girl who fell out of the tree. As you can see on her lip, she's got the scar and the little girl yes. got clawed by the cat. And then you've got the origin of Shirtless's enmity and his war with his brother bear. <laughs> brother bear. <laughs> it's gotten dark. It's not as goofy as the other books have been, but I mean, you gotta have that to make it not just that goofball book. It's some serious shit here. Almost. I'm right. Say it, almost at the level of Secret Empire. Almost that serious. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're stretching a little bit there buddy but they are trying to give you some context for it so it doesn't just become like joke fest book that there is actually plot and characters and stuff that's going on i mean i would have preferred about 30 percent more jokes in this still i want to see amc make a series <laughs> <laughs> you want an amc series for this i say cartoon network should do it as a series but well you're right after rick and morty <laughs> so i will give it three so weird god damn it again <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> I will give it 3.25 a major American conflicts. <laughs> Alright, back over to Marvel. We cannot escape their pull. Speaking of Secret Empire, we've got the Doctor Strange tie-in this month. Doctor Strange number 24, Marvel Comics, written by Dennis Hopeless and art by Nico Henrique... Why do... Why? Why? Henricon? I think so. Henricon? Henrichen? Warning, if you're trying to read everything chronologically, take this book, go back to, I will estimate, probably Secret number 2, and read it there. Because this is Doctor Strange getting back his house, which he had back a couple issues ago, in and the Secret Empire books. This is the story of him, Spider-Woman, Ben Yurik, and the Kingpin kind of fighting against evil, trying to free Manhattan from the darkness that surrounds everything and get back the Defenders who are now in Bubbles uh, by Baron Mordo, who 
who's sitting in front of Doctor Strange's mansion. And his mansion itself is like a focus, like a ley line all knotted up together. It's his sanctum sanctorum, literally. That's where the term fucking comes from. So, you got Mordo just sitting out there drinking a coffee cup from a mug that says Sorcerer Supreme. <laughs> so, without it, Doctor Strange isn't quite as, as strong. We're basically playing a, a strategy game, which is fun because there's a lot of nods to fantasy RPGs and the chess are just directly called out in this. There's a couple of really funny scenes. I like that Spider-Woman is like, please don't make a chess pun right now. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, there's the chess pun. But then she makes a incorrect and called out incorrect D&D reference in there. I think it was about doing a wisdom check. Is he going to go get his dice bag and do a wisdom check? And then Ben's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> it's a masterful game because he tricks out Mordo with illusions and astro projection. He uses all of this stuff because he knows he can't fight Mordo. He cannot beat him right now. He's not strong enough. He hasn't been strong enough for a very long time. Thanks to those fuck nuts, the Imperia kills. Yeah. He's been at the bottom of his game for a while now, but he goes, plays the sneak game. He's crafty and wiry, and he tricks Mordo into leaving the Sanctum, at which point Mordo doesn't have all that power backing him, and he just gets taken out by Daredevil, who's like, that was a simple rope-a-dope, Baron. Can't believe you fell for it. And I just love the sound effect. It's just punk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because literally all takes to take Mordo down because you got to remember, he's a nerd, right? He's this wizard. His whole thing is that he studied a lot. So he's a glass cannon, right? So Daredevil comes in and just socks him one and he goes down because he's got a glass fucking jaw. Yeah. And everybody's just kind of standing around out in front. This is where the D&D reference happens, the role for wisdom. And then they're like, oh, he's going to go in and he's going to gather up the powers and stuff like that. And what happens is Doctor Strange goes into his house, goes up into his bathroom and takes a look. Luxurious <laughs> bubble bath. And you just see his, the look in his face of happiness and contentment. And I'll remind you, everyone that New York City is covered in a globe of darkness. And there are demons and monsters fucking everywhere. And he's taking a fucking bath. Hey man, he's earned it. You know? <laughs> that is Doctor Strange to a fucking T. This reminded me a lot of one of my favorite bad movies, which is the A-Team. They don't fly a tank in this I one. That movie. But there's a part in the A-Team at the end where they're putting together the plan and it's all misdirection and guile that they're using. And that's what their plan reminds me of here. With Doctor Strange making all the illusions and luring Mordo out. And then once he's been lured out and exposed, that's when they strike at him. And I thought it was really cool to see that plan going on. Because at first you're like, you don't understand what they're doing because you don't know the plan until they reveal it. Which is how it should be. Yes. Because if they had told you originally, like, oh, we're going to put him inside the biplane, you won't notice it, and whatever, the scenes wouldn't have the same impact. Yeah. But when he finally reveals what's going on, you're like, oh, yeah, now I see what's going on. When he was saying, how can you withstand all this stuff? You're too strong. I just wanted to, like, scream, like, roll to disbelieve. It's an illusion. <laughs> That much was obvious to me, but I didn't foresee him being smuggled in in the ghost biplane part. I thought it was awesome. I like that they played it the crafty way and just kind of let the story take place instead of doing the Ocean's Eleven. I thought it was really good. And also, I noticed the little sampler at the back of the book, the next issue. That is classic 80s Doctor Strange. He's got a cloak of levitation, his classic outfit and everything else. I gotta wonder if he's gonna, like, shave while he's in there taking his bath. And he's just gonna come out and he's like, hey, bitches, I'm Doctor Strange again. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going to happen next, but that's one thing I like about this book, because it keeps me kind of guessing. This is some fantastic Doctor Strange. I mean, Doctor Strange has been historically kind of... It's one of those side books where it's like, it's either going to be really good or really confusing. You could call it bad. Sometimes it is bad, because they're just like, well, we need to make a superhero book, 
but he's not really a superhero. I mean, he kind of sells his soul on a daily basis, piece by piece, and other people's souls, too. Well, yeah, but, I mean, he's a superhero. Technically, sure. He's not easy to do. I think Hopeless does a really good job of Doctor Strange. This run has been really good. I've really enjoyed Me too, and it's really hard to have a good run after an epic, legendary run. Because normally you need, like, kind of like a palate cleanser to kind of reset things back into place. And I feel like this one, I don't think it's the equal to the previous Doctor Strange run, because really that's one of the greatest comic runs I've ever read. But this is really fucking good. Yes. This was almost my pick of the week. I really enjoyed this one a lot. Craftfully done. I like that Baron Mordo, even with all the power of the Sanctum Santorum and all the magic stuff he's been given, he's still kind of a fucking idiot. <laughs> Doctor Strange is not, so I like that the person who's not an idiot and has less power can defeat the person who has all of the power, but is still an idiot. Which has always been the point of Doctor Strange. We've heard in the previous run they had things like never stop punching with him, where you've seen him repeatedly down for the count, but he keeps fighting, and I feel like the same thing is happening here. They did this a little bit in kind of the 1602 books to go into a weird tangent. Oh, those are so fucking good. I love 1602. Where you separated a lot of the characters from their powers, but they were still heroic. You know, like Peter Parker in that book was not Spider-Man, but he was still, fate had a role for him and he was still a hero. And I feel very similar with Doctor Strange here, that even without his powers, he's still a hero. see what you're saying there, and I have to agree, it's like, these are still the characters, even without the powers, and that's a very important thing to kind of understand and have in these characters characters is they they need to be these characters without having a superpower if you need the superpowers to make you a hero then you shouldn't be a hero to quote the spider-man movie or well paraphrase it i agree i'm gonna give it four sanctum sanctorums i will give it four kill the idiot with ancient evil space fire nice so those were the books we read this week. You can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our other podcast on original streaming media. Cut the cords at fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate. Review. And subscribe. Be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds.